Our first reading is Psalm 46. Psalm 46 for the director of music of the sons of Korah and according to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And the second reading is Matthew chapter 6, 25 to the end of the chapter. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Thanks for reading, Nick. And in your service sheets, you've got an outline for the talk this morning. And this morning, we're thinking about the topic of worry, stress, anxiety. It's a very relevant topic. Uh, back in 2018, the World Health Organization stated that stress was the epidemic of the 21st century. Medibank in Australia estimates that workplace stress costs the Australian economy about $15 billion a year. Stress can lead to all sorts of other medical conditions. It's estimated that 60 to 90% of the patients that GPs see in any day are presenting with stress-related conditions. Can I say at the start, if you are experiencing severe or long-term stress or anxiety, please go and see your GP. Uh, Corin and I yesterday listened to a podcast about stress. Uh, I'll share a link 
to it in an email this week. Really helpful in understanding stress and the particular features of Western society today that kind of contribute towards it. It also included some helpful, simple habits that we can all do to help reduce personal stress levels. The expert being interviewed in the podcast was a British doctor called Rangan Chatterjee, uh, author of a book called The Stress Solution. And he said in the podcast that the biggest misunderstanding that he encounters about stress is that this idea that it's all to do with external factors. And if only I could empty my inbox and finish this project and get through this phase of parenting or leave this job or pay off this mortgage, well, then I wouldn't be stressed. And he said that while external circumstances are certainly part of the equation, there are also internal factors at play. But I don't think he really addressed them in the podcast. Maybe he does in his book, I'll have to see. But thankfully, Jesus, in this passage we're looking at this morning, does address internal factors. In the same way that he does throughout the Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus tackles this subject of anxiety, he addresses our hearts. Anxiety, according to Jesus, is not only affected by our sociology or our physiology, but by our theology, what we believe about God. Jesus hints at that in verse 30, if you look down. He says, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry. Jesus seems to be saying we're to fight anxiety with faith, in particular with faith in our Father. As we've seen over the last few weeks, the the central reality in the Sermon on the Mount is that God is our Heavenly Father. Right at the heart of Jesus' teaching is the Lord's Prayer, where he instructs his followers to address God as Father. We're so familiar with it, but it is revolutionary that God, the great creator and ruler of all, is our Father, and he loves us, and he cares for us, and he's promised to provide for us. That's the reality we need to hold on to, to fight, to keep our faith in if we're going to stand and follow Jesus in the midst of an anxious age. As I said last week, Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount is utterly radical. If we take this teaching seriously, if we actually put it into practice, we will be an incredibly distinct and attractive community. So as we start, why don't I pray that that might be true for us. Our Father, we do thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it is living, that it is sure. We thank you for this record of the Lord Jesus teaching and thank you that he addresses these subjects that are so relevant for life today in 21st century Adelaide. Please, would your spirit help us, give us understanding and help us to be those who do live by faith, who trust your promise, who seek your kingdom first that we might bring glory to your name. Amen. It's pretty warm, isn't it? There's one fan on. There's another one. That one, yeah, good. There's one at the back, is that broken? If you need more air, open a window, maybe. 
I reckon there are at least eight arguments that Jesus provides in this passage um, to help us battle anxiety, but I thought an eight-point sermon might be a bit much on this warm morning, so I've condensed it into three, and they're on your sheets. Firstly, there's more to life than physical needs. Have a look again at verse 25. Therefore, Jesus says, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? The the word therefore at the start tells us that this section follows on from what has come before. And if you remember that the section we were looking at last week was all about materialism. Jesus calls his followers there to not store up treasures on earth, but instead to invest in eternity, in the things of heaven to be single-minded in our devotion to God and generous in our giving of material wealth. And so here, Jesus tells us not to worry, not to be anxious about material things, not to be overly concerned about our physical life, our physical needs, because there's more to life than food, drink and clothing. There's more to life than the accumulation of stuff. There's more to life than financial security. If we really believe in eternity, if we really believe in heaven and hell, then it must affect our attitudes, our priorities. It must affect what we're concerned about, what we give our energy to. We won't be always thinking about providing for material needs and material greeds. We'll have concern for the cause of the gospel. We'll have a passion for the glory of God. We'll pray for the salvation of the lost. We'll pursue our own spiritual growth. In other words, we'll do just what Jesus tells us to do in verse 33. We'll seek first as our number one priority in life, God's kingdom and his righteousness. We'll pray the Lord's prayer, hallowed be your name and your kingdom come and your will be done on earth, right here in my heart, here in this church community, here in the lives of the people that you've placed around me. We heard from Jade, so encouraging, wasn't it? What it means for her following Jesus, putting God first and trusting him to provide all that she needs. What about you? What what does it mean for you to seek first the kingdom of God? This pursuit of God's kingdom is set in contrast to the pursuit of pagans. Look at verse 31. Jesus says, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom. Pagans are people who don't know God, who don't have a view of life beyond this material world. And so, of course, they run after food and drink and clothes, material provisions and pleasures, because that's all there is. That's what life consists of. That's what the pagans run after. That's what they seek. But you, says Jesus, you know there's more to life. So don't be consumed with worldly worry. Seek first God's kingdom. And so can you see that this passage is not really addressing all anxiety kind of across the board. It's addressing worldly worry, anxiety about material things. We're not being called to a life free from all concern where we kind of float along passively, unaffected, apathetic to the needs around us. 
No, there are things that it's right to be concerned about. The Apostle Paul in his letter speaks about his anxiety for the churches that he served. His concern that people might fall away. His unceasing anguish for the Israelites who rejected the gospel. Now, believing in God's sovereignty, his power and care will mean we don't take more responsibility for those things than we ought to. We can trust him, even with people's spiritual needs. But that doesn't mean we're emotionally detached. There are things it's right to be concerned for. There's something to run after. You know, I'm hesitant to say this, but there's something to worry about. There's something to get worked up about. There's more to life than physical needs. Let God's kingdom be your priority, your primary concern. Secondly, your father cares for you very much. Your father cares for you very much and therefore you can trust him with the material needs that you have. So point one is about getting your priorities straight. Life is more than food, drink, clothing, but it's not less than those things. Jesus isn't saying that material needs don't matter. And so point two is you can trust your heavenly father to provide for your real material needs because he is your heavenly father. And the way that Jesus makes this point is by drawing our attention to the care God shows to his physical creation. So verse 26 Jesus famously says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And then verse 28, why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So Jesus says we've got to get our binoculars out and do some bird watching, go for a walk in the hills, in the fields, check out the wildflowers. And Jesus asserts that it is God who feeds the birds. It's God who clothes the flowers. And he does so without them worrying or fretting. You've never seen a flower with a worried face, nor a bird. Now, it's not that birds just sit in their nests waiting for God to drop worms into their mouths. No, I mean, watch birds. They're constantly on the move, aren't they? Flying to and fro, collecting foods. And yet Jesus affirms it's God who's feeding them, providing that food for them. And so for us, trusting God's care and provision doesn't mean that we can be lazy. Jesus isn't saying we don't have to work. He's saying we don't have to worry. And in verse 27, he throws in, kind of as an aside, it seems, this very practical point that worrying doesn't help doesn't actually make any difference. You can't extend your life by worrying. In fact, you'll probably shorten it, won't you? But Jesus' logic through this section is clear, isn't it? If if this is how God takes care of birds and flowers, you can be absolutely confident 
he'll take care of you. If God provides so abundantly for them, you can be utterly sure he'll provide for you because you are much more valuable than birds. You're his children. You are supremely precious to God and he cares for you very much. If you ever doubt God's loving care, just look again at the cross. God has proved his love beyond any doubt by sending his son to die in your place. He's paid for your sin. He's secured your eternal salvation. It is inconceivable that he will now neglect to care for your daily needs. There's a little poem that goes like this. You may have heard it before. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. Jesus says, just look at how faithfully God provides, how he feeds the birds, how magnificently he clothes the flowers. And remember, he is your father. That poem's probably wrong, actually, isn't it? He's not a father to the birds. He's a father to us. And yet he looks after them. But he is your father. You can be absolutely sure he'll care for you. Do you think he's going to care more about pigeons and daisies than his dearly beloved children? Of course not. Jesus taught us to pray to our father, give us today our daily breads. Do you think God's going to mock that prayer when he hears you? You see, anxiety at heart, I think, is believing that God doesn't really love us, doubting his care for us. And so Jesus is asking us in this passage, don't you know that you have a dad? You have a heavenly father who's absolutely besotted with you. Imagine a boy who lives without the assurance of a caring father. Every day he expects that his father's not going to collect him from school. And when he's given a a letter from the school about a field trip, he doesn't even bother to take it home because his dad's never going to pay for something like that. His friends are never invited back to his house. He lives with constant anxiety. And so a social worker is um, given the job of investigating what's going on. And to their surprise, they discover a perfect loving family. A boy who isn't spoiled but receives everything he needs. A a dad who bursts with love for his child. A dad who's brilliant, faithful at providing for his son. He's a perfect father. The boy's fears are all in his head. He's anxious because he can't see his own father. To some extent, we're all like that boy, aren't we? We live like orphans. Though the reality is we dearly love children. We need to fight anxiety with faith in our Heavenly Father. We need to recognize this is a spiritual battle. And we're prone to forget. We're prone to doubt. We need to preach 
the gospel to ourselves repeatedly. We need to remind ourselves and each other of who we are and who God is. We need to pray to our Father in heaven. So there's more to life. Your Father cares. And thirdly, and following on, your Father will provide all you need. Look again at verse 31. So do not worry, saying, what should we eat? What should we drink? Or what should we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is a really precious promise, isn't it? Our Father knows what we need, and if we seek his kingdom first, seek his righteousness, he will provide for us. But it also raises questions, doesn't it? Yeah, what about Christians who live in poverty? What about Christians who die of hunger? Weren't they living for God's kingdom? Is it that they just weren't trusting in God enough? We can't say that. That would be incredibly insensitive. We need to remember firstly that what's promised here is the provision of needs, not wants. We're, we're not being promised luxuries, but necessities. But there's still a question, isn't there? What about those who lack that provision of physical needs? There's probably more that could be said on this, but I found John Piper helpful. He says, the argument is God will supply everything you need to do his will and his righteousness. Yes, he promises some of us will be imprisoned and some of us will be beaten and some of us will be killed. Paul says in Romans 8 that famine and nakedness will come for some, but those things will not separate us from the love of Christ. In all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. We will have all the clothing and food and drink that we need to do the will of God, including the time when his will is for us to die. There's no guaranteed physical comfort in this world, no guaranteed life on earth, but no trial will befall you for which he will not give you all you need to endure to the end and be saved. So the promise is that God will give us all we need to live for his glory, to seek his kingdom, his righteousness. I've tried to incorporate this promise into my daily prayers. As I plan my day each morning, I remind myself that God loves me as his child and will be present with me at every moment, that he'll be working in all things during the day to make me more like Jesus. And I remind myself that I'm a servant of the King of Kings. I'm called to bring glory to God and blessing to the world. And that God won't give me more than I can handle in this day, but will provide all I need to live for his glory. See, Jesus isn't saying that we won't face troubles. That's clear in verse 34, isn't it? But the point there seems to be that each day has its appointed amount of trouble. So don't go reaching in tomorrow and bringing its troubles into today. Each day has its appointed troubles and each day has its appointed mercies. They're new every morning and they're sufficient to enable us to endure. 
There's more to life than physical needs. We're citizens of heaven. We're children of God. So don't worry about material things. Your father cares for you very, very much. He knows what you need and he's promised to provide. So let that free you. Free you from anxiety. Free you from worldly worry to seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. Invest yourself in the things of eternity. Give your time and talents and treasure in pursuit of God's glory. I'll give you a minute to reflect in quiet and then we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together. Let's join together and pray the Lord's Prayer on the screen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen.